Welcome to Ask the Expert at the Sugar Science. We uh, Today are, we are hosting uh, Dr. Stephen Gray. Uh, he's currently in Utrecht, the Netherlands. He's going to be talking about the potential blockchain technology for rewarding scientists and a regenerative medicine metaverse. Dr. Gray is a serial entrepreneur with 10 plus years of experience in biomedical engineering, regenerative medicine, and deep technology. He's co-founded multiple startup companies, uh, Orobionics, Cartalum, Cybosense, Guts BV, Eurofoods, and Nucario. Sorry about that last one. I mispronounced it. The startups focus on transforming different sectors, 4D bioprinting, human machine interfaces, regenerative medicine, blockchain, food, textiles, biorobot, robotics, space, organ on chip, and industry 4.0. The first startup he co-founded, uh, Eurobiotics, wa uh, was voted among the top 10 3D bioprinters in 2015, and the open source basic uh, excursion 3D bioprinting in 2016. He co-founded the writing style of Eurojournalism with a focus on the sector of deep technology and longevity. He's based in Utrecht, the Netherlands, and is a bioengineering PhD alumni of a top 10 global university, Imperial College London. Um, so welcome, um, Stephen. We're very interested to hear um, about what you've got going and um, and then kind of have a conversation about how this might apply to opening science, uh, particularly in the type 1 diabetes realm. Um, uh, and so, yeah, take it away. Yeah, no, so I think it's important to discuss, yeah, the starting point. So so the main startup that I co-founded and is led by its CEO and, and his team, uh, which is Orobionics. And the focus of Orobionics is to essentially go beyond bioprinting um, with a focus on actually creating every solution that's needed within regenerative medicine. Um, I think one of the most important things within uh, regenerative medicine and 3D bioprinting is that we can't 3D print an organ. And I think that there's a lot of news and a lot of media attention on 3D printing organs. We can't. Um, it's not to say we can't do it in the future, but we can create tissues, we can create structures, we can enhance, yeah, even with diabetes, we can enhance the treatment so we can actually potentially create implantable devices. And the main issue with this is that the industry kind of focuses on the hype of 3D bioprinting. And 3D bioprinting is a great um, entry-level technology because even I, um, yeah, I started my journey open sourcing 3D bioprinting, but I was focused more on advanced tissue engineering. And when we look at regenerative medicine, we have to think of every single component. We have to think of the parts of tissue engineering, stem cells and biomaterials, and what we can actually realistically do. Uh, like there's a lot of advances in cell therapy. We can create implantable devices or enhanced medical devices um, for, for patients. The reason why the industry hasn't succeed is essentially that 3D bioprinting overpromised and underdelivered um, for realistic applications in regenerative medicine. Um, this is basically due to the process itself. When you're pushing cells through a syringe, you have low cell viability, the cells are deformed, and you cannot create complex tissue structures to actually create what's needed. That also, it is low throughput. So it, it's highly time and cost intensive if you want to actually 3D bioprint uh, something for, say, pharmaceutical industry or for finding new treatments for, for diabetes, which is your focus. And then you also have to look at the limited co compatibility. We still continuously use animal materials to create human models. Now, there are synthetic alternatives out there, but I think that the, the main alternative is uh, one of our partners, which is human biologics. Um, the focus on 4D bioprinting is uh, the fourth dimension is, is really the focus on adding additional functionality to the tissues. 
So to be able to actually uh, yeah, add this functionality to tissues where they have uh, an embedded like biosensing or bioelectronic capability to be able to treat or, or, or diagnose um, people with specific diseases. Like for instance, we can look at spinal cord injuries or, or robotics to, to, to tackle cancer. And again, we could have um, you know, minimally invasive um, implants for diabetic patients that are dependent on insulin all of the time. Mm -hmm. um, so how we do it is we really merge different technologies. So we take the proven technologies from our different founders. Um, one of the, 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 a lot of the technologies are based upon the bioelectric field, but also merging with microfluidic gradient bioprinting and acoustic levitation and, and cryo modules. So we're really focusing on taking these advanced, faster tissue engineering technologies and merging them with smart biomaterials and biosensors and human biomaterials from our partner, Human Biologics, to create this next generation of 4D cyber organic applications for regenerative medicine. Um, when I speak about the materials, uh, two of the materials are invented by our co-founders, Professor Alvaro Mata and Professor Ali Reza. Uh, they're self-assembling, they're electroconductive, self-healing, and they can actually detect different disease biomarkers. Um, and we have a partnership with Human Biologics, which allows us to create more humanized uh, tissue structures. Is Human um, Biologics uh, located in the Netherlands as well? No, they're based in Arizona, okay. uh, led by uh, Dr. Muhammad Albana. Um, so, so they're really experts on human um, biomaterials, and we work with them because our aim is to create the applications. So the first set of applications that we are working on is to basically create these complex uh, tissue models. So at the moment, bioprinting can go as far as maybe skin, muscle, and bone. But when it comes to brain and complex lung and all of these tissue models, it can't happen. So our, our, our CSO, Professor Yasinga, he has been able to use his technology to create um, every neural component. And not only that, uh, there, there's this issue within biofabrication where stem cells tend to, even if they don't, if they lose their viability, they also lose their pluripotency. So they, they kind of lose their ability to, to form the tissues. The stem cells need to keep these uh, factors in place to form the tissues. So with Professor Yeasinga's technology, not only do the, the stem cells form every component of the brain, they also keep their differentiation potential for over one month. So that's the, the, the huge advantage of our technology is that we can take it to the level of complexity that's needed. And then the next stage is really where we want to, you know, once we've developed these in vitro, advanced in vitro models for, for say pharmaceuticals, we want to start creating these half living, half electronic devices. Um, you know, the, like the fact that you can create hybrid implantable patches with biosensors and nanotherapeutics, it, it means you can do so much more in the future of regenerative medicine and, and, and longevity. But, you know, at the moment, a lot of medical devices aren't at the minimally, minimally invasive level. So with what we're doing at Orobionics and all of the patent and patent pending technologies, we can get there. Uh, for instance, we are working on a neural stimulation device, uh, merging the different biomaterials and stem cell technologies. Now, that's still very early stages, but in the future, it could lead uh, to something uh, a lot more um, interesting. Yeah, and I know um, Galvani is, you know, in, out there in Stevenage, um, in the UK, is looking into that realm as well. Yeah, so there's a lot of researchers that are doing it, but again, it's always kind of at a research level. So... I think that there really is the stage where you want to get it out of the, the research environment and actually into 
preclinical and clinical or, or even getting, because a lot of the, the technologies I see on the market are, are amazing, but they're all highly invasive. Major, majority of them are highly invasive. So we have to think of new ways um, to, to do things. And because the, the, the technologies at Orobionics are not only electroconductive or biosensing, but they're also uh, nanoscale levels. So you can create highly complex structures that can facilitate uh, advanced medical device manufacturing. And, and that's why we also have um, daughter companies in, in different sectors. So we have three different uh, companies in different sectors, uh, such as CyboSense, which is focusing on um, biosensor technology, Oral Foods, the scaling of food production, because, because our technologies are 30 times faster, Oral Foods is working with us in a license agreement to actually scale food. Same with Nucario Textiles. So we, you know, we work with these companies to help them build and give them access to our technologies and what we're developing to, because I think that a lot of the times technologies generally tend to stay in one company and they can do so much in so many other industries. So we see that as, as a huge potential. Um, and, and there's an article that I've written on, on the 4D bioprinting industry and all my social medias are under 4D bioprinting. So there's more information on that specific um, sector. But when I think we were discussing the concepts of blockchain and um, yeah, uh, how to improve more open science and open technology. And yeah. one, of the, one of the startups I founded is Cartel and Blockchain. And Cartel and Blockchain, they've, they've invented their own sustainable blockchain technology so they have their own technology it's not the it's not the same as what's happening in the industry with all of these cryptos and nfts and it doesn't it's it doesn't have the right structure so what cartellum want to do what they originally wanted to do was they wanted to create a, a biofabrication and biomanufacturing metaverse so to connect all of the researchers in regenerative medicine life sciences academic institutes um you know digital campuses all of these things so that was kind of the original focus of this editorial that i wrote um and and now what cartellum is focusing on is the problem in the industry so right now in the industry journals are making six billion in annual revenue with scientists and engineers getting little to nothing in return um, well they also you know i mean that's one of the biggest you know um profit margins that yeah. exist i mean the scientists have to some some of them have to pay to get their you know their publication published and then their industry or themselves have to actually buy the subscription so yeah. it's kind of like a two-way pay pay flow but it, it, it's also kind of <laughs> it's a bit ridiculous to me because like the scientists and engineers are doing all the work without their work there is no publication and then the fact that they have to publish and the institute has to buy a subscription to read the publication, it seems like it's a little bit too much in favor of the journals. And um, also the, the concept of impact factor and H indexing, mm -hmm. it's, it's a brilliant idea, but those uh, scoreboards are also controlled by the journals. Mm -hmm. So I know there are in other independent evaluations, but again, it's still largely in favor of, of journals. And also on the other side of things, you know, inventing and patenting technology is a long, tedious and expensive process. Mm -hmm. and, and there is limited protection for all inventors, especially in the ideation. A lot of the times when you're inventing yeah. a technology, you can do a lot yourself, but you have to share it. And if you share it with the wrong person and they walk away with it or they use it for their gain, you lose everything. Well, right. you can still go on and do something with it, but or you can do litigation, all those things. So there has to be different protection levels. And on, on the industry side, you know, data breaches are probably the biggest problem for every industry professional. So especially True. in biotech. So 
this is important. And, and when it comes to intellectual property, we see the same thing, like with IP of companies, how do you protect it? How do you prevent someone internally from taking it? Open sourcing, I love. I've open sourced technologies in the past. I think it's highly valuable for innovation, but there's limited to no protection for others uh, for commercial purposes with, without, uh, like the inventor gets essentially nothing. Like if I look at most of 3D bioprinting industry, it all started from the RepRap, same for 3D printing. It all started from the RepRap model, which was open sourced um, from a professor in Devon. Um, and then others were able to build upon it and build companies. So these companies became billion dollar companies, but not much really went back to those that open sourced it. So I think yeah. that there needs to be more incentives to not get in the way of open sourcing and open science, but to actually allow the innovation to grow. But if it's used for commercial gains, there should be protection in place. Yeah, um, and that's that's a very important piece. And we've had, I've had, you know, trainees and people in the early careers hesitate to share their data prior to publication, right? Because they're yeah. in their small startup lab. And if someone sees that idea and they're in a big established lab, how they can quickly take the idea and, and bring it to fruition. So there is certainly a competition at play, which is, you know, part of science, but I agree with you. It has to be, there has to be a more protective way for those who are just starting out with their ideas and their fresh ideas. I would also just sort of like add that there's also a lot of, you know, patent thickens already out there that, that, that kind of like make things complicated for early career scientists because they have these ideas and then they, you know, they research it and there's like tons of patent thickens already around the space that they're trying to explore. So yeah. I don't know how, if you have any input on, you know, how blockchain might be able to, you know, navigate well, this is, that. This is where I see the, the first uh, component is that, so Cartalum is providing this solution with using their sustainable blockchain. So it's their blockchain technology it's, it's more sustainable, it consumes less energy, essentially, um, or it's been designed in a way where it consumes less energy and each block can be modified to do whatever you want. So the way I see it um, as, as their advisor is that, you know, the blockchain allows you to secure, track and trace whatever protocols, methods, files, data, know-how, even 3D designs. There's a company called CADChain focused on AutoCAD designs. You know, these things can be verified that you are the original owner of said technology. So when you're worried about sharing it or, yeah, okay, there's always going to be a fear of sharing it, but you could put it on a decentralized DAO system and have some level of protection, even a small level of protection where the, the end user owns the, the keys. And if you like, for instance, with, with methods, you see a lot of uh, publications getting downloaded on Sci-Hub illegally. Mm -hmm. um, I think that largely that's basically from people wanting to know how was it done. So I think there could be a way within journals to create this sort of know-how protection whereby um, someone uh, could not, not hide methodology, but the authors could have the keys or the crypto keys to the methodology. The paper can still be published, it can still be shown, but if someone wants the methodology, they have to contact the original authors, mm. which kind of okay it gets in the way of some aspects of open science but it also doesn't because i mean methodology and know-how is is highly valuable i know there's a lot of professors at some stage in their career where they kind of don't want to publish anymore uh, they might want to patent but it's too expensive um and so we so cartellum is trying to find these solutions for potential remuneration um sharing and maybe potential licensing 
Um, like, could you have blockchain licensing? Um, again, we don't know. So on the flip side of that, there's Lenny Teitelman and his protocols.io and he wants to like open all protocols to people. Yeah. Um, so that's, but your idea of having sort of a key to access those protocols is interesting. Well, it's, I, I think I like the idea of being able to share uh, content, but let's say there's specific know-how or specific recipes or something that you know at some point you want to patent or provisionally patent or get a level of protection. Um, not that there's any, if, there's, if the protocol can be shared equally or it doesn't really impact uh, the potential of, of the research or, or the potential of what the scientists can do with their research, I think then it's, it's completely fine to go out there. Um, but I do think even the patent system itself is quite old and outdated mm. because if you look yeah. at a patent, when a patent expires, I mean, yeah, then anyone can uh, turn around and make what they want. Um, right. So to a point, um, but like if I look at a lot of, there's, I will give one example of uh, in the food industry, um, there's uh, mycelium has kind of uh, exploded in terms of all these new startups using mycelium to create meat. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of that is kind of based on the fact that corn, again, I, I could be completely wrong, but that, that the patents have, some of them have expired. So now people can create um, their own versions for meat production. Now, how far that goes, or because then people are creating new patents and new IP. Um, so it's always interesting to me. But I think that there should be a way to, yeah, allow for another way for, for, um, even academic institutes to speed up technology transfer. Um, because a lot of the times the, the bottlenecks between academia and startup is getting the technology out of the research institute and into the startup. Um, and a lot of the time it's a long negotiating process, but if it was just as simple as having access or blockchain access to a file and then licensing it out on a blockchain, whatever agreement, that could be a very um, simpler process. Or if you could attach a blockchain tag or component to a, to a publication in a journal, and every time say that that article gets cited or shared or, or whatever, that the authors get direct remuneration. Mm -hmm. So the journals keep doing what they're doing. Um, and maybe there's the process of working with the journals because the journals are faced with an issue of what's happening with Sci-Hub. You know, they're, they're, all of their publications are being kind of, yeah, uh, downloaded by anyone and if you look at what happened with ResearchGate, ResearchGate is the platform for sharing publications as the author or posters as the author and now they're facing problems with large journals mm -hmm. because the authors are sharing the articles but the articles are owned by the journals so I think it's a very complex ecosystem. Kind of like uh, a Robin Hood situation. Yeah. But, uh, the other the other thing that's kind of interesting, it is a very complex situation and problem, but, you know, they've, they've tried ORCID IDs to try to, you know, be able to track people. And like you said, they're the research gate. I mean, there's blockchain for science out of Berlin, mm -hmm. um, but it's like, it's, it's not an overarching solution yet. No, I think it's kind of, it's going to take a lot of different stakeholders and a lot of engagement from everyone. Um, you know, I have uh, a debate with people on LinkedIn about it because I've shared a lot of content about it, but people generally have, I think that the important part is that people are interested and people are talking, right? So it's not that 
it's it's always the other way around generally in in startups that sometimes people have no interest and they don't really care what you do but this is the other way around people are interested because they see it as a problem and i also see it as a problem because well a lot the majority of academics leave academia so what value does your publication have outside of academia what value does your technology have if you can't get a license to it mm-hmm. so there's there is a it's yeah it's kind of like a I, I can't I can't describe the ideal solution to the situation, but I think that things need to be done. Um, whether that will actually change something, I, I don't know. Yeah, um, there's no doubt we're at a point, an evolutionary point in science. I think that the the masses of data that are now available are you know sort of like one piece of you know of that evolution, how that's going to change things. But also this, everything you're talking about here is the other piece of it. So it's it's going to be very interesting to see how it evolves. I mean, I think that, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I think it would be great if the sort of the type one diabetes community or other disease communities sort of like circled their wagons and came up with solutions within their field. Let's say, let's say that, that one realm, right? Type one diabetes. Mm -hmm. And let's say there's a lot of researchers out there that have a technology that they believe could actually create an impact and treat patients or be it could become something right that researcher is faced with the same problem if i mm-hmm. publish i have to publish for my career if i publish it's out there if i patent it depends on the university wanting to patent if the university doesn't want to yep. patent it's a problem but what if there are people with all of these technologies for type 1 diabetes how do you get them out faster and protect them at the same time so i think that there has to be some solution for people where they can feel a little bit safe, where they know, right, I've invented this, there's a blockchain attachment to my file, there's proof on a decentralized server that it exists, that's enough for the public domain, because once it's in the public domain, you cannot protect it. So at least if there is proof on a public domain that doesn't disclose the proof, then you could have people with all sorts of type 1 diabetes solutions sharing to, to those that they want to share with, you know? Yes. As you said, like what happens with uh, a scientist shares an idea and someone with more money comes along and recreates it and takes it as their own. So maybe it, it creates a little level of protection. Maybe it allows researchers and inventors to feel a little bit safer when it comes to sharing their ideas. And, and it kind of leads to another um, concept which started from that article on, um, the, the biofabrication metaverse. And, and when I was writing it, I was writing it in a way where Orobionics and Cartellum were going to work together to develop something that could provide the ability to, re, to, to remunerate people that share, uh, you know, designs or methodology or know-how in 3D bioprinting. And then um, I think it was a young entrepreneur from DTU. He, he has read the article and is interested in building such a concept. So, so he wants to build this concept of an oral metaverse, which would be a blockchain-driven metaverse, but the idea is that it would be interactive where all parties in life science could connect and collaborate in, say, a virtual environment, but they could also do gamification yeah. of protein or genetic structures to, you know, solve diseases. Or Number three is really near and dear to my heart. I've talked about this for a couple of years now with some friends of mine who are in, who are game theorists, and yeah. like, this is such a great, um, I think, such a great idea to try to bring in some of the concepts or tenets of game theory yep. and incentivize people, you know, maybe to chip away at these pieces. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. It's also it's a huge industry because if you look at esports and, and and gaming in general, it's it's quite um, yeah, it's 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 a huge industry. And I think that even discussing today, the the original founder who's still building it and wants to get everything together before he launches, you know, he was explaining um, yeah, it's basically a younger generation, and the younger generation will probably adopt this uh, these metaverse concepts, these virtual concepts because they're already doing it now uh, at on a say a game level and there's already all these platforms specifically for that so i think it would also work with uh, the fact that the top ranked universities are building digital campuses you know right. they, they need campus integration they need to be able to integrate the students with the professors with the researchers even with the industry professionals you could have virtual events you could have enhanced academic collaboration for academic groups um, because that's that's the, the, the one um, uh, way that, that, that startups generally are able to, 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 to grow or enhance research is that startups put research into a different level of collaboration and networking. So it, it could maybe allow a researcher to have an idea, meet with an entrepreneur in a virtual environment, get to know them, and, and then go from there. But then there's also how do you protect and verify people. So I think that that might be a component that's kind yeah. of needed. Um, okay, for the general larger metaverse, for all of the like social media kind of thing, yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, but even what I've seen with Facebook and, and what they're doing in terms of uh, you know, taking 47% or, or higher of profits, it's kind of wrong because yeah. people, are, people are using their metaverse platforms. So I don't think that's gonna work long-term. Like there is a company in Utrecht um, called BeamUp, and they're also focused on developing um, an open metaverse, and they've developed it um, using Unreal Engine. And they're focused mostly on social media and, you know, different industries and providing solutions for different industries. But, you know, ultimately, this could go in the direction of life sciences. It could be yeah. that you could have a diabetes type one metaverse. You could have people sharing content as much as they want with cartel and blockchain. You know, like that's, for me, that's, I guess... The vision is that everything has uh, uh, everything's like a cog in the wheel. So, mm -hmm. you know, Orbionics is, is 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 the driving point, and these other startups in the ecosystem are building around it. They're all doing their own thing in a way, but they're still focused on building together, which I think is, um, yeah, uh, highly important if we want to actually do something uh, new. And yeah, so that's that's everything I think. Um, yeah, and then the articles you can find on 3D printing media network um, from the, the metaverse, the blockchain, and, and also the 4D bioprinting. Yeah, no, I follow your social media. I always find your posts to be really um, innovative and insightful. It's, it's pretty obvious you've done a lot of deep thinking about these concepts. So, um, and that's why I reached out to you originally, because I just think you're, you're really approaching this from a new perspective. I think, you know, just much like anything, you know, there can be fashion in science, you know, everyone gathers around different concepts at any given point, and there can be silos within any different, with, you know, within disease states in science, specifically in heterogeneous diseases, because there's different types of scientists approaching them. But you're talking about kind of like blasting it open and trying and building something fresh, which I really, um, you know, admire. And I think it's in its amazing way to start thinking about um, news, new ways forward. So thank you so much for chatting with us. I appreciate it. And I hope, uh, I hope more scientists in the type one diabetes field follow you. 
Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you for the time. I mean, it's been fun to share the thoughts.